Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, after that great talk we had about our thermostat, I thought we'd talk about carpet. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're going back to F1. <laughs> well, it is a something, race weekend, so. Something that is more fascinating than paint drying. Carpet could, you know, it depends on your industry. Carpet could be more fascinating than paint drying. We're talking about F1 cars. We're going back to the vroom vroom sports that we like so much. <laughs> Actually, before we get there, I, I do have to throw out a quick disclaimer mm-hmm. because it is allergy season. And you have them. And it, and it appears that the appropriate sexy plants are throwing out their pollens and stuff. And both of us have had an impact over the last couple of days. So there may be a little more sniffling and a little more... Other noises than we normally have in the background of our podcast. Okay, that's disgusting, and I can't believe you just called it out. Now people are going to be listening for that, and I'm not sniffling. But maybe you'll call. You'll do other stuff. No, my effect has been an ongoing sinus headache for three straight days. You, you are full of all the bodily oh, noises. So in that case, you'll just get grumpy partway through because of your sinus headache. Don't push me and I'll get grumpy now. <laughs> hey, you know, the other thing I should uh, I wanted to mention before we jump into it, because we're trying to figure out how to do this. But around, and honestly, if you're a tech company of any sort, doing a product announcement either on April 1st or the day before April 1st is a really, really stupid idea. You're about to talk about the Amazon Dash. I got to mention it. Okay. So Amazon announced, and it's some flashy videos and stuff, a product called the Amazon Dash. And what it is is basically a little button. It's a single button. It's tied to a specific product. And if you are running low and you need more of it, you press the button, and magically the order is placed for more of the product to be sent to your home similar to like subscribe and save but this is more of an on-demand thing yes in fact if you go back in the wayback machine yep you will remember that in the original bloke and the bird uh, show you're talking about the domino's pizza button we talked about the pizza button yep so this is an expansion of the pizza button concept um but we're still trying to figure out which ones we want, if well, we want any. Well, the thing to point out is this is real. It was not – because all they did was they came out and they said, hey, we're rolling this out. If you're interested, send us an email and let us know, and we'll get back to you, which was sure sign that this was probable vaporware and a joke. Well, it turns out we got the actual email saying, hey, you're invited to the program. Pick your products. Yep. So we're trying to decide what makes the most sense, but we're going to play with this. Okay. Now, who says Formula One isn't road relevant? Most everybody in the entire world. Well, you'd think that. However, it has only taken about 25-ish or so years. But technology... That was suspension technology that was developed by Formula One has found its way into tanks. Okay, how is that road relevant? 1990s technology has found its way into tanks. But there's been other technology from Formula One that has made it into today's automobiles. 
Well, I just the suspension technology. I mean, yes, I know there was ABS and so some of it. I think went the other way though, from the cars into Formula One. You think the uh, regenerative braking system went the other way? Yeah, to some extent. But but the active suspension that was in use in the nineties, mm-hmm. which. Um, Steve Matchett tells a story in his books that it was really neat when Williams came out with this. They they won a championship the first year they had this active suspension. Um, they used to exercise. Williams used to exercise the suspension to make sure there was no air or anything like that in the the various hydraulic pressure lines that controlled it before a race. So you'd walk past the the Williams garage and the cars would be moving up and down and side by side on their own as the various parts were activated to work out the the air in the lines and get the pressure and stuff like that. He said it was really, you know, it's like the hydraulic cars in L.A., but they weren't bouncing up and down because mm. that would break stuff. But <laughs> but BAE Systems has rolled this out in a new tank that they're proposing, I guess, to the U.K., and it, it actively stable as they, they shoot this tank over a series of jumps – it actively stabilizes the tank so it doesn't bounce up and down as much. They're finding that the tank can go about 40 to 50% faster than previous generations of tanks. Fantastic. Formula One, road relevant. Uh, Formula One tank relevant? Okay. Because tanks aren't exactly road vehicles. Maybe off-road relevant? All right. Let's try this one then. Okay. Try it again. FIA. So road relevant mm-hmm. that FIA President Jean Todd was named by UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon as a special envoy to the United Nations for road safety. I don't think I comprehend. Maybe it's because they have all those road courses. Well, obviously the UN Secretary General is, is not a Formula One fan. I mean, I know Korea lost the race, and he's South Korean and all, but obviously he's not a Formula One race because he would have realized, if this was the case, that really Jean Ta was the wrong person to go talk to. He needed to go talk to Bernie, put up a few more signs around the world that say, Bernie says, think before you drive, and you're done. You know, I'm thinking (laughs) of all of the stars of F1. The one that truly should be the special envoy for road safety, Pastor Maldonado. Wait, wait, you need to hear my argument. Okay. The longer we keep him in meetings talking about road safety, the longer he is off the roads and the roads are safer. There we go. You know, actually, this past week, Lotus put up a picture, and I don't know where it came from. I have to see if I can find it. I I, I saw it on one of the blogs. Um, I, I'm assuming this was a, a promo for the new Mad Max movie. Okay. But they had a Lotus Formula One car done up as one of these psycho crazy vehicles from Mad Max. So it was the matte black color with the, the grayed out sponsorship logo. So... PD Vesa was there, and Lotus's logos and stuff were on there with these big, huge, chunky tires. Mm-hmm. And 
mufflers that came up out of the side pod with these pipes that came up like over the cockpit and stuff like that. It actually it looked really cool. And who was sitting in the driver's seat but Pastor? This makes you want to go see the movie, it doesn't it? It doesn't make me want to see the movie, but I saw this and I'm like, this is perfect on so many levels. Well, it was a cool looking car too. It's Pastor though. Yeah. I'm I'm not getting cool car right, out of that at all, but that's just me. I'll have to show it to you. Anyway, Jean Todd, who, you know, we don't hear about at all. For some reason he just He doesn't have the personality or possibly the publicist that uh, Max Mosley Max Mosley had. He plus his name doesn't roll off the tongue quite like Max Mosley does. Okay, I'll give you that. You know, Jean Todd not so much. Max uh, you know, Mosley. I, I think Mosley worked better with Bernie to manage the system. Well, they were buddy buds. Yeah. And Todd doesn't seem to want to exert any kind of pressure on Formula One. Well, keep in mind, they've basically made him useless. I mean, they've divulged all the power to the teams. Yes. However, you know, remember, they set the rules for helmets. We still have something to say. We're going to change the helmet rules. Oh, yes, because that's relevant. (laughs) Okay. Next. Throwing it out there. Um, Caterham F1's headquarters, I I think at this point it is official. Caterham is dead, and they are never coming back. Despite what Finbar O'Connell used to tell us in January, that a sale is imminent, and he had all these folks – Team's headquarters is now up for sale. Does that need to become the next Blog and the Bird headquarters? Well, it is a 28-acre site that includes 150,000 square feet of of, uh, buildings, offices, and a race car test facility. Hmm. Now, bids in excess of 5.5 million pounds is being sought for the site. So if you calculate that using today's exchange rates, mm-hmm. in U.S. dollars, I believe that works out to about $3.5 billion. What math are you using? <laughs> I realize you failed high school math, but seriously, you cannot be using actual math. I'm concerned that the facilities for Caterham would not be big enough for the Bloke and the Bird headquarters. Are you saying your ego is that big? Well, yeah, <laughs> especially when I have to share a building with your ego. Wow. Well, those interested, contact agent John Joe Lyles of BNP Paribas Real Estate. He is c- confident that the facility, which lends itself to a number of different uses, would be of interest to many people. Oh, sure. I'm sure there are... Th- Thousands and thousands of companies in Great Britain that need a race test track. Well, one of the things that I got to wonder is where exactly is Manor Marusha operating from? Because as part of all of these sales that went on over the winter, Haas Racing bought their original headquarters. Hmm. So are they operating out of a complex of cardboard boxes under an underpass on the M5? I mean, where are they operating out of? I, I've never 
seen anything as to what their new facilities are. We'll find out if maybe they can move to Oxfordshire. A used store it facility? Uh, yeah. There aren't many used store it's in uh, England. Actually, there are. That is a big business now is the, the self-storage facilities. I, believe it or not, BBC did a show about this a couple of, of years ago. Of course they did, and of course you watched it. I did. It was kind of interesting. Okay. But they started off with, just like in the U.S., you buy these old manufacturing plants for dirt cheap pennies on the dollar, spend a couple of bucks to refurbish them and secure them, and you've got self-storage place. And now there's the new palace of self-storage, these brand-new places. And there are actually businesses that operate their offices out of these self-storage places in England, which I don't think you can get away with in the U.S. Hmm. I mean, like, full-on showrooms and everything. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I I don't think it would be all that impractical for Madame Marusha to be operating out of a used-storage facility somewhere. It is entirely possible. What's next? So, Susie Wolf has been speaking. She did. Uh, she drove Valtteri's car during free practice one in uh, Barcelona this week, um, and apparently she was only uh, 0.8 seconds off of uh, Felipe's fastest time in Q1. Nice. Um, however, she's also come out and said that she feels that. Uh, She's very far away at this point from actually getting a ride in Formula One. You know, one of the big blows, you know, we had wondered after Melbourne why Susie wasn't called in and why she didn't get the ride. Apparently, her super license only covers testing. Mm. And the other thing that uh, Williams did, and I think this is a real slap in the face, and, and if I was in the same position. I'd probably be screaming and yelling a lot over it. And the fact that she's been quiet really makes me wonder what happened. Williams, realizing that they needed a reserve driver, signed Adrian Sutil for that position. Well, if she doesn't have a super license that would let her be a reserve driver, then... Well, she doesn't have one because there's no need for her to pursue it. And she says it outright. If it, because it doesn't look like she's going to be getting a race seat, she's not pursuing getting the license. And with Sutil going and getting the reserve spot, there's even less of a motivation for her to go and get that uh, get that license. Uh, the other issue for her is that with the rules changing for super licenses, that you've got to have come up from one of these other these junior series and have won in those series. She's older than most of the folks in those series, mm-hmm. and she doesn't even believe that it's worth the effort to try and get back into those series at this point because of her age. Well, she may have a point. I mean, let's let's be honest. the The first female driver in Formula One may actually be somebody that's coming up through the the process. She she may be in karting now. But it may not be Susie. And for us to have hung all of our hopes on it being Susie, I think is short-sighted, frankly. Well, yeah, I mean, of all their test drivers, she's definitely the most Mm -hmm. high-profile. But the reality is she hasn't done any racing since 2012. Right. And that was when she came out of DTM. She'd spent seven years in DTM. Mm -hmm. She may not... She may not want it, really. 
You know, she may be happy in her spot. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, well, I can't I, actually, speculate. I don't, th- I don't think that she's happy. I mean, I, I think she, she has wanted a seat. She's been pursuing a seat. Um, but I think she thinks at this point it's less likely to happen. I think being close and in the peripheral is probably a good spot for her. Not to mention the fact that no matter what she does, and I, I think that we get so caught up in this idea that we need an F1 driver that's a woman and that she has to be on the grid all the time and all that. Everything that Susie does furthers women in motorsports. And even if she never rises above test driver for Williams, even if whatever she touches, she's furthering the cause that women belong in motorsports. And I think that that's that's an important role, too. She will get named as a pioneer just as much as Claire Williams is, as running a team, as what's-her-face Danica gets (laughs) called out in... Indie. Well, the thing is, though, in in terms of being that trailblazer as and, and setting that tone up that women belong in motorsports, I'm not even so sure that that's necessary. Because if you look at the history of, of motorsports, especially in the 50s and 60s, there were a lot of women who were competing side by side in a lot of different series um, alongside men and doing extremely well. Rally to Monte Carlo had se- had several uh, women uh, driving and doing extremely well through the fifties and sixties. It, it's you got to kind of wonder though as to what was it that over the seventies and eighties that we didn't see those women continue to to stay in auto sports and and what the, what changed there that they weren't coming in, in in nearly as many numbers as they were in the 50s and 60s. I mean, yes, they were a minority, but there were still quite a few of them and quite a few who made significant names for themselves back then who have since faded away. And why are we not seeing more come up through the formulas? Why are we not seeing more enter into karting and enter into the various GP2 series or, or the various lower series? Besides, oh, Carmen Jordan. Hmm. I think it'd be an interesting study about what happened in society that would have allowed women to do things in one generation, which is popularly considered a generation of non-opportunity for women. Yeah, and and that's what really surprised me as I was watching a lot of these videos and, and reading about some of this stuff was – that wasn't the impression I had at that of that era, that there would be a lot of women in racing at that point. There would be a lot of women in motorsports and a wide variety of levels in motorsports. That really surprised me because that wasn't the impression I had. I mean, I'm guessing because I've not reached out and done research, but I've mm-hmm. got some guesses. I'm guessing that when the cars were a little bit slower, as they would have been in the 50s and the 60s, um we wouldn't have quite hit that aggressive, true, deadly period. Um, And that could have scared some people. Um, I think that in the Playboy set that was racing, there may have been more willingness to, oh, go have a little fun. Um, And then as it became a sport and became competitive and became less Playboys mucking about on the weekends and... 
more hardcore full-time racers, there became a good old boy club that would have pushed them out. Um, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of different reasons, not the least of which one could probably argue that the feminist movement itself had an effect, that conquering motorsports was probably not a priority as much as conquering business and conquering other places where women were traditionally shut out. Think about it this way. If women weren't being shut out of motorsport at the time the feminist movement was starting to really ramp up, they wouldn't have gone after making sure that women were in there. They would have pushed women to other frontier places like, you know, football. Well, you know, there's that and also there's the possibility that many of the series that women had been um, participating in aren't nearly as popular today as they were as they were back then and the series themselves fade i mean we don't hear about rally monte carlo anymore Mm -hmm. we don't hear about a lot of those series and that may be some of it i don't know yeah like i said it's all theory as to what might have changed so at this week's race if you are looking for the silver and black mclaren don't. You won't find it. Uh, they have changed their color scheme for the first time since 1997. And boy, howdy, was that all that was talked about for about three solid days in the news. Well, things were still really kind of quiet. So we needed things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a, a spokesman for the team has, desi- has described the new design as a, quote, dynamic, predatory design. Graphite gray coloration complemented by McLaren Dayglow speed marks and key lines. Now, he added that the idea was to optimize the car not only for bright sunshine, but also for floodlights used in twilight and night races. I think it was more that maybe they were hoping to differentiate the car from the Force India. I think so. Because it was, and I wasn't expecting it to be this hard, but it was really hard to to figure out and tell the difference between a McLaren and a Force Indias. Which is really sad. Yeah. Well, except up until this point in the season, you could tell the difference because the ones in the back, those were McLarens. Well, no, they were dicing it. Yeah, ouch. But they were dicing it up with a couple of the Force Indias a couple of times. Once, twice. Yeah, I mean, overall, though, they were still... Well, Button had his feet up in the paddock last week, last time. Tweeting. Tweeting. Now, oh, and I, I should mention that it was e- one of the two. It was either Jensen or, or Fernando came out and said, yeah, I had no idea that they were even working on this. You know, <laughs> apparently the new livery is a lighter paint weight. Yeah, I heard that as well. Yeah, so they're hoping to eke out a little bit of performance gain by the paint itself being lighter. I, I, I think that's wild to me. Every little bit counts. I understand. I mean, that's the truth there. So – here we are. Weekend of race five. Race five. Now, normally it's a little early, but the truth is with everything that is happening with Mr. Lewis Hamilton, I think it's time to officially declare that silly season is open. <laughs> 
You know, we heard the rumor a little bit in uh, Bahrain, or, or there was a little needling, a little prodding at Lewis in Bahrain about the him possibly riding with Seb, and we had that audio mm-hmm. over at Ferrari. The reality was, you know, Lewis has been – actually, we heard contract was going to be done for Lewis right after the season. Then we heard that contract – the 2014 season. Then we heard that contract was going to be done just before winter testing. Then we heard contract was going to be done just before the first race. Now we're hearing – oh, and then it was the contract was going to be done before we get to Europe. Now it's the we're hoping that contract will be done by Monaco. Apparently in March, Lewis came out and Lewis came out and said that it was ninety nine point six percent done, and the only thing that all the points were agreed upon, it was just a bunch of legal bits. But now apparently people are speculating as to why it's still not buttoned up. Well, there's a couple of things, and there's still folks who are saying that the contract is 99.6% done. But there, there's a couple of things going on. We know that, I guess, Lewis has learned that Seb has been allowed to keep a couple of his championship cars from, from Red Bull. Now, obviously, he doesn't have them yet, but he will be getting them at some point in the future, probably around the time that he retires. And Lewis has realized that, hey, this is really cool. I kind of want this. Mm-hmm. He actually is, from what I'm gathering through the pieces that are being released, he's modeled the requests of his contract after Seb's quite a bit, including the dollar amount. He wants yeah. to be, uh, Seb is like a, currently the highest paid driver on the grid, and he wants to be right up there with him. Now, there was there, there's a lot of thought that some of the delay that's going on is actually because of Ferrari's current performance. Mm. Because up until, oh, say, race two, there was no other option for Lewis. If he wanted to drive in a championship-winning car, he wanted to drive in a competitive car, it was Mercedes or it was nothing. Now that Ferrari has woken up, now that Ferrari is nipping at their heels, there's a theory there that, you know, Lewis could hold this over Mercedes' head. Kimmy's contract isn't a done deal. Um, for, uh, Ferrari has come out and they have said that they're stalling on signing Kimmy's contract. So could all these pieces be falling into place? I think moving to Ferrari for Lewis would be a bad, 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 bad move. Well, you know, BBC, they they came out with an article of the five reasons he could be tempted to go over there. Okay. What are they? Well, the first one that they say is that he's wanted to drive for them before. Now, they use the argument that, well, you know, every driver wants to go drive for Ferrari, and that, that's what Ferrari claims. That's what several of the drivers – claim and i don't know if that's really the case with lewis because i don't recall ever hearing him come out and say yes every driver wants to drive for ferrari and i want to go drive a red car too i haven't heard that i haven't ever heard him say that either but the other thing is it it seems to be pretty universal that all the drivers they they put ferrari as the pinnacle of their careers yeah now we do know that ferrari has targeted lewis in Mm. the past um, they did in 2014. 
Um, and there's a rumor that even in 2007, which was the year that he first debuted in the sport, that Ferrari was interested in him, and he wasn't interested in moving at that point. He was very happy with McLaren. And so they've wanted him before. There is, of course, the mythos of Ferrari. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many titles have been captured by them. Um, all you know, there's a good reason. Of course, there's Fangio there. If he moved to Ferrari, he would be the only other driver besides Fangio to have won three titles with three different teams. If he won a title, if he won a title with them, yes. Assuming he did. But it would give him that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the timing. We mentioned that already. And then th- this, I think, is the weakest one. But they throw this out there that as much as Lewis drives Mercedes on the track, um, a few weeks ago he spent $1.5 million to get himself Ferrari's La Ferrari. Or in Top Gear parlance, Ferrari the Ferrari. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but he also owns a Camaro or whatever. He owns a Stingray. Stingray. He owns owns quite a bit. But, you know, to turn around and buy Ferrari's most modern, most – their big prestige hypercar when he's driving for, for Mercedes, some people are reading into that. Toto Wolf has said, yeah, it's no big deal. I mean, really? Come on. Yeah, I'm with Toto. (laughs) Okay, so admittedly, BBC's reasons are kind of weak sauce. Well, they needed five. They needed five. There there was no BuzzFeed number four will blow your mind kind of a thing, but yeah. But of course, never one to shy away from a microphone that's stuck in his face. Bernie Eccleston. Yes. Of the bad hair Bernies. And what did Mr. Bernie have to say? He backs Lewis for the switch to Ferrari. Of course he does. Well, of course, because anything, you know, the, he says that, um, yes, if, if Lewis went there, Sebastian wouldn't like it. Which, of course, that is all that would make, that would work for Bernie. Because all, Bernie's, all Bernie would see is potential um, controversy. At Ferrari, headlines, attention, press, media, interest, it's the show. It's all about and the show. And it's the show, and who cares about the racing? This is perfect for Bernie. This is exactly what he wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is all. This is up Bernie's alley. The, there's a big question, though, as to how that would work. I mean, granted, you know, everybody wondered if the fireworks would fly with Fernando and Kimi. We never really saw that because Fernando outclassed Kimmy so badly. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, here you have the opportunity of a four-time world championship being head-to-head against a two-time, potentially three-time world championship come the 2016 season in identical cars. It could potentially be really great racing and drama throughout the season. Now, granted, we kind of hoped we would see this last year with Lewis and Nico, and we didn't really see it. It kind of fizzled out. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's the potential for that if the two of them were on the same team. 
and to have a, a, a fairly accurate comparison? I don't know, though, because Ferrari has always been big on this is the number one driver, this is the number two driver. I don't know how that would play out. I think it's bad news because of Ferrari's team order mindset. Yeah. I think it's bad news. You've got somebody vying for his fifth world championship. You've got somebody vying for their third world, the third or fourth world championship. It, it, that would be, it, it could literally be disastrous. And well, it could be disastrous for Ferrari, but the attention and the press and all of that, which again, that's what Bernie then wants. Then Bernie's all over that part. I get that. But I'm thinking from Lewis's standpoint. Being top dog at a top team is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, Ferrari is making a comeback, but they're still not sitting on the top podium every week. Well, in order to get to that podium, they have to get through him. Mm -hmm. I mean, truly, that's what it is. Right. I have nothing else about that. Okay. I don't. I think I, I know. Lewis it, it's, is just... It, it, it's silly season talk. I... I got to wonder if it would make better sense, and I think it would make better sense. Kimmy, let him retire as much as he is entertaining in his own right. Mm -hmm. And look at some of these other promising talents that are kicking around. I, I think that that makes better sense for Ferrari. I really do. I don't think it makes good sense for Mercedes to let Lewis go. Now, if Lewis's demands make no sense, I understand that. According to Mercedes or some insider along the way, um, Mercedes is reluctant to change their pay structure. Um, and that's, that would be what is holding up Lewis getting the big, big bucks. As if he needed bigger bucks than he's got now. Well, I understand that. But I think he's watching Seb. I honestly think that he thinks that the only competition he has on that track is Seb. And he should be paid accordingly. You know, arguably he does. But now that he doesn't have a management company, how does that pay work out? I know. Well, he's saving 10% on the top. There you go. Okay, so it was a race weekend finally. We it was, but wait. Okay. I got one last thing before we go to the qualifier. Oh, go for it. Did you hear that there's changes going to be made to the Monaco circuit? I did not. Yes. Um, the Formula One drivers are set to have an easier time in Monaco this year. I know. Shocking. There's a new curb that's being introduced into the tight right-hander on the exit on the exit around the swimming pool. Okay. Um, previously, this barrier simply ended, and the drivers would use it to as a clipping point to come yeah. around that curve. They are changing it um, because if they got it wrong, it was a damn. It could. Uh, Damage their suspension, and they risk clanging up against it. Um, the mirror has now been moved back and rounded off, and the curb, which was added, um, the the drivers can aim at better. Ah, uh, okay. So, so it, it, basically they pulled the barrier back, but the curb is staying where it was? Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's being rounded a bit, so that uh. it will do less damage, I guess. Um, the FIA has confirmed to motorsport.com that the Ballards will not be used for the Monaco Grand Prix weekend either. I wonder where they were used. I don't. I don't know, but that was in the article. Okay. Um. Oh, I guess the new curb 
in Formula E was used with the three pa- plastic ballards added. They, the ballards uh, won't be part okay. of that for okay. the thing. So I just wanted to point out that we were going to see a little bit of different track design in Monaco. Well, it kind of makes sense that they're not going to use the the bollards that they used over in Formula E. The track was shorter. It's like half the length in Formula E. And the cars are going slower. Yeah. So, okay, that kind of makes sense. All right, so now we have a race this weekend. We do. In Barcelona. Next week is Monaco. Right. Yay. Yay. Because that's a fun race to watch. All right, Barcelona, the only track Pastor Maldonado has won at. Yes, he, as the first Venezuelan ever to win in Spain. Hey, guess what? This weekend, we'll see the youngest driver <laughs> in Barcelona on the Young, track. Youngest Formula One driver. Youngest Formula One driver in Barcelona on the track. Yes, and not only that, but um, I think said youngest Barcelona uh, youngest driver um, kind of embarrassed the parent team a little bit. Uh-oh, what did he do? Well, you know, as a – well, we might as well start with the Toro Rosso drivers then. Max ended up not only in Q3 in his Toro Rosso, he ended up in P6. That is not bad, Mr. Now, Max. Granted, he was right behind Carlos Sainz, uh, who was in P5. But the parent team of the Red Bulls, the best that they could do is Danny Caviant was in P8, and Daniel Ricardo, who was on the podium, his first podium of the season last year, was down in P10. But last year was a weird one because that wasn't te- technically his first podium of the season. Well, yeah. The one he got to first, keep. His first, yeah, keeper of a podium there. <laughs> but, yeah. Wow. You know, it Red is, Bull has got something wrong, and it's not the engine, guys. It's not all the engine. It's, it's not all the – there are definite engine issues. Um BBC, I think it was Tom Clarkson who mentioned it. Basically, every fluid that could possibly come leaking out of these <laughs> engines this weekend came out of these engines, including tears. Yes. That was a great line in the BBC yeah. coverage. Um, the, the team is already on their fourth engine, my understanding, for both drivers, which, remember, four is the limit for the season. They were – it looked like – that. The rule to allow five for the season was going to happen. That change appears to have been voted down. And Christian Horner has come out and said that, yeah, four or five really doesn't matter. We're probably going to need eight. And so they're just going to have to accept the grid penalties. This season is done for for Red Bull. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not even a contender. They couldn't be a, they couldn't be a contender. Um but I'm really ha- kind of happy for our two young boys up there, Sands and Max, because that's great start for them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's huge. And while I'm, t- I'm calling out some of my favorite young guys, Will Stevens beat his teammate yet again. He did, but it, it sounds like that there may have been a mechanical issue with Roberto Mary's car, which didn't allow him to come out again. Ah, Well... But still, Will. Now, the, uh, there was an interview on Five Live in their run-up to uh, the coverage this week. They, they spoke to Will Stevens. They're still shooting for an August uh, debut of the 2015 car. Mm-hmm. But the thing to understand is 
Yes, it's still a 2014 car, and he confirmed that engine is the 2014 engine. They're not running a 2015 engine. Wow. So the fact that they're staying within 107% with that 2014 car and that 2014 engine, and oh, by the way, they're pulling double finishes when they're racing, Mm -hmm. that's pretty good. I think they're doing great. I mean, they're doing great. For a backmarker, they're doing great. Phoenix Rising, all of those kind of things. I'm Go Will. I'm on Team Will right now. <laughs> not not Robert, not rooting for Roberto Mary? Well, I like Roberto Mary just fine. Okay. But, you know, Will's out, outpacing him. I got to give him that. Other than that, you know, it was a you, relatively quiet. The, the big shocker, you're not even going to lead there? Well, we'd already started. I had, We started with Max. That's not the shocker. All right, what's your big shocker? Nico Rosberg finally got a pole again. We never start at the front. <laughs> Since this when is, do we start at the front? <laughs> this is like a big deal. It is, but we never start at the front. Well, we're going to start there now. Well, we're not even starting we're there. We're jumping all over the place. We're all over the grid. It doesn't really matter. But Nico has pull. Come on. Does this mean the past three weeks he's pulled his head out of his ass? This is a question I have to know the answer to. Well, you know, you, you got to wonder what happened in these three weeks. Because we know that Lewis spent some time in, in L.A. Mm-hmm. He was in Vegas for uh, the whatever fight last weekend he was at the the met gala in new york did you see some of the dresses from the met gala this is a complete aside of horrendous proportions and i'm sorry but did you see i didn't I, i think i saw maybe two i wasn't looking all that closely i saw what lewis was wearing and i was like dude Okay, so the theme, and I'm terribly sorry, we'll take two minutes for this little aside. The theme was something Chinese. You pulled us in this direction in the first place. I know, I'm apologizing. (laughs) The theme was something Chinese. If you ever get a moment, you need to go Google Met Dresses Jessica Parker. Jessica. Sarah Sarah Jessica Parker. She wore a Chinese lantern on her head. Okay. She's not exactly known for her taste, now is she? It had little red thingies coming. It was bad. It was bad. I mean, some of the dresses were so horrendously awful. I mean, I get avant-garde style. I get some things. But some of these were like, they were almost offensive for being so cliche as to trying to fit to this this theme. And then there were some of the men's tuxedos that were embroidered with the fighting dragons. It looked like your stock and standard uh, to, uh, traditional bad Chinese restaurant with all of its tacky <laughs> decor had thrown up at the Met. Okay. Okay. So back to Lewis was at the Met. So he was at the Met. He was in L.A. He was at the fight. He was driving the 1955 Mercedes Formula One cars with uh, Sir Sterling Moss. Who, by the way, pain in the butt Sir Sterling. He says in the most recent week of interviews, because why we're digging up that old man to give interviews, I have no idea right now, uh, on Lewis. Lewis Mercedes dragged him out. Okay, Sir Sterling says Lewis is not a great driver. 
He has not reached the level of a great driver yet. Well, he also said that Lewis is more interested in his music than he is in driving right now. Which is also a problem. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Lewis was doing all of these things. Oh, and he was waveboarding at some point in Monaco as well. I mean, doing all that stuff. What did we hear that Nico was doing? I heard crickets. I'm Now, if Nico's smart, and he is, as we know, really smart, mm-hmm. he, I'm guessing, went forth and used this time to sit down with the various coaches and whatever folks that Mercedes has available to him to analyze what the hell was going on in the first four races and what he was doing and how he could wake up. Well, I think that that's part of it. But there's a lot of articles right now that are out that truly Nico's problems began with Spa of last year. Yeah. That his, his he was on his game up until he hit Hamilton in Spa. And one article that I read, which was fascinating, said that part of the sort of the psychology that's been going through Nico and probably what he spent the last three weeks on really focusing on is, you know, dealing with and processing all of the the things that are going on so that he can face this race well. Um, One of the things that they said was that it really hurt Nico that not only was he privately admonished by Mercedes. He was publicly. He was publicly admonished by mercedes that they took lewis's side and this was andrew benson actually said in his opinion it was a miscalculation on nico's part not an intentional hit and mercedes came out on lewis's side and benson believed that that was the end of nico's season right there well you know this is basically what total wolf had to say immediately after the race absolutely unacceptable i mean that was his exact words he lit into him Mm -hmm. and you know i'm not completely convinced yes it was a miscalculation to hit him the way he hit him that that i won't argue with beyond that though you know i think the hit was deliberate i i think it was a deliberate brush off he knew he was taking a calculated risk there. He knew that jumping in, it was either going to work out well for him, it was going to work out bad, and he assumed that Lewis being the caliber of driver that he is, that Lewis would have backed down. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't what happened. No. So if Nico took these three weeks to truly refocus himself, we could be facing, and, you know, I got to say something here. The pundits on Formula One, it is seconds that they change their minds. Remember at the first of the season, Lewis was the man to beat. He's untouchable. He's almost a shoe-in for the world championship, yada, 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 yada. Now they're all comparing this season to last season that this is about a turning point. And with Lewis not getting pole this week. Now, keep in mind, Lewis has had pole every race up until this point. Yep. He's won all but one race. Yep. So this is race five. He's won three out of four races. He's had pole four out of four until this week. Nico didn't even have that record at this point in the season last year. No, he didn't. His his run of poles came a bit later. Right. But 
yet all the pundits are like, well, remember at this point last year, Nico was leading the championship and then Lewis pulled it out and, and, and towards the end and yada. The truth of the matter is we're at the fifth race of the season. It's a 19-race season. It's a long time before the end of this season. It is, but Nico, like we saw, we started to see in Bahrain, he needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be fighting for those positions more. He can't do, we can't have a repeat of this, especially with him in pole. We can't have a repeat of this incident from last season. Okay, Lewis, if you let Nico pass this lap, please. Let Nico pass on the main start finish straight. And that's the truth. Nico needs to get in front of, of Lewis. He needs to stay in front of Lewis. He needs to fight his way to get up there. He can't, you know, he can't rely on team orders to talk Lewis into letting him by. No, no. And the thing was that we know from last year that every time it was truly a Lewis Nico battle mm-hmm. and they were they were battling it out, Lewis was always the better driver. Yep. And so we'll see. Now the statistics on Barcelona's track is heavily weighted for the pole sitter. Well, it's heavily weighted to the front row. Mm-hmm. Um so we kind of expect that one of the two of them are gonna win the race. Because they're sitting on the front row. It's, you know, it's Nico, then Hamilton. You know, one With, of the other things that, that was thrown out is apparently the last eight races at Barcelona have had eight different winners. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Well, Pastor was one of them. <laughs> I'm just saying. Flashes um, of brilliance tempered with flashes of absolute ridiculousness. <laughs> Sadly, the ridiculous far outseeds the the flashes of brilliance. Um, so we have a front row of Mercedes, but it's Rosberg and Hamilton. Now Vettel qualified third. He did, and but Kimi not nearly as well. Kimi was down in seventh. Ferrari did something which I don't agree with, and. They they ran into this issue last year, and, and it came off that they couldn't make a decision as to how to set up their cars. So they split the they split the strategy. Seb was running with the upgrades that were planned for this weekend. Kimi was not, hmm. and I guess Ferrari has come out and they've said that they haven't. They've been confused by the way some of the updates have behaved in the weather and the conditions. Given how much running that Ferrari has had on, well, all the teams have had in Barcelona, I would think that this would not be an issue. I know. I would think that they would understand this track extremely well, and between the the simulator testing and the, the CFD testing and a wind tunnel testing, they would be able to model this track better than any other track in this series. One would think. But... They split it, and Kimmy wasn't comfortable with the setup. He wasn't comfortable with, with how it handled and ended up back in seventh. Hmm. Well, I think Kimmy likes a very precise setup. He's he got d- a narrow window. He does. And, and actually, one of the, the things that, that folks have been talking about is part of the reason that Ferrari has been so successful is that both Kimmy and Seb like their car setup pretty similar. So if you're tuning it for one, the, the other is probably going to be in good shape as well. 
That's not bad. And and that's put both of them into in, into good positions. It's not bad at all. Valtteri was up in P4, mm-hmm. but Felipe all the way down in P9. Poor Felipe. <laughs> I like Massa. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Fantastic. <laughs> We've never actually met him, but oh, okay. You know something? I have this feeling that if I was to meet Massa, we'd have a great time. We wouldn't understand a word each other said, but we'd have a great time. He speaks some English. He does. I don't understand what he says when he speaks English. Okay. So, um, so we've already talked about the Toro Rossos and the Red Bulls. Lotus did not make it into Q3. Um, this is actually apparently the first time that Lotus, that Roman has not made it into Q3 all season. He ended up in 11th with Pastor right behind him at 12. Interesting. Um, then came, well, if you listen to McLaren, this wasn't a shock, but it was a shock to everybody else because finally we saw something happen. The McLarens ended up pretty comfortably in Q2. Yay! Fernando in P3 with Jensen in P4, and Jensen was only, uh, just about... A hundredth of a second behind Fernando. She's shocked, too. Yeah, she was stunned by it, too. She was completely blown away at how well they did. (laughs) (laughs) Our studio audience doesn't doesn't, uh, recognize the red recording light. No. Well, she's colorblind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But P3, P4 in Q2... And then that just didn't translate when. No, P3, they didn't make P3. it. You said P three, P four. No, P thirteen and P fourteen. Okay, you need to go back and change the recording then, because you said P three. I'm P4. not changing the recording there. Okay. They're at thirteen and fourteen. Okay. And and comfortably into into Q two there. They still got some work to do. It looks like. And the other question is: Okay, this is great for qualifying. But what does this mean for their race pace? We'll find out. Um, I Where I do think was pretty disappointing, though, was Sauber down in 15th and 16th. Ooh. Nasser and Erickson right behind each other. Mm. Um, and they were almost a, a full second off the McLarens. Wow, that sounds like they didn't bring some decent upgrades to Barcelona. Well, that's the question is whether or not they can they have the money to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Monisha Keltenborn was on BBC this week, and yeah, all she's really got to say is we're really happy with the improved performance we've seen so far, but uh, prize money isn't differentiate isn't uh, distributed evenly. It sounds like they've got money problems. They, well, we've known that. I mean, that's, that's not how really they, they new, signed three drivers. Yeah, <laughs> for uh, two seats. And now it looks like uh, Force India and their piss-poor preseason development is really starting to bite them. They're down in 17th and 18th. Did you hear what the proposal was from Force India's what's-the-doodle-head-boss guy? From Vijay Malia or from... uh, The other one. Oh, what's his latest now? Oh, he thinks that what would improve Formula One... Is if they muzzled him? Well, no. He does not think that he should be muzzled. 
He thinks that what would improve Formula One is if the teams were allowed to pick their tires for every race, allowing basically for them to pick whatever tires they think would be best on that racetrack. Now, Pirelli came out and said the problem with this idea is that we pick tires for the racetrack based on what we know about our tires that the teams may not necessarily know and the track itself. So you could actually have teams that are trying to get speed go with a softer tire than the track can handle. We could have greater tire deg and thus have unsafe conditions because the tires be flying all over each other. Well, there's that. There's also the fact that any benefit that you would get from these softer, faster tires would be negated by the 8,000 pit stops you'd have to do to make it to the end of the race. <laughs> So apparently this is going to be one of those shows. (laughs) So this isn't the worst idea we've heard from Bob Bob Fernley. Like, I don't know, the teams boycott, the the poor teams boycotting Austin so that they could get more money. Yeah, but he's definitely taking his crazy pills. (sighs) But seriously, I think Pirelli's got an interesting concern about this idea of, oh yeah, I guess Fernley's idea is that they would be able to increase strategy by, you know, having to balance this idea of speed performance um, with tire deg and all that. But Pirelli's like, you'll create unsafe track conditions. Yeah. With everybody bringing different tires to the track. You know, speaking of, of tire issues, uh, I did not mention when we were talking about uh, talking about Kimmy, he is apparently down a set of tires this weekend. Um he he's down a set of medium tires because one of the warming blankets caught fire. Oh. Yeah. That's bad. Well, hopefully he doesn't need those medium tires. I know, but he seems to like them a lot based on his yeah, last well. race. Other than that though, I think I think that pretty much wraps us this week. It does. That means that we can go watch the race. Well, yes, when it happens. Yes, but remember we watch in between and has we record in between. Well, yeah, that's so. it. Those now, are the words. Now we get to go watch the race. So uh, you know, with that, you know, we will remind you: leave us a review. We still have no reviews. I'm looking at the numbers. People, you people are listening, even if you didn't like the thermostat show last week. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it wasn't thermostat show. <laughs> it's a cool thermostat. And at some point, we're going to talk about home automation, too, in a couple of weeks, because we've got some dead zones that, you know, well, maybe next year they'll gaps. start to go away. That was the other piece of news that came out this week, is they're talking about next year and how it's going to be the latest start since 1988. Well, we talked about that last week. Right. In, and it's a, it. a little Compressed bit schedule. to compress the schedule so that we wouldn't have as many three-week gaps. Of course, we could not have to start so late and not have three-week gaps if we'd stop losing racetracks. Well, there's that, too, but... Uh, Let's go back to Bernie and what he wants to charge and those pieces. And, and we've beaten that horse up a bit. We'll, we'll let it rest a few weeks before we take that on again, because I'm sure we will before the end of the season. Um, but, yeah, please leave us a review over on uh, iTunes and over on Stitcher. Yes. Get that right. <laughs> <laughs> and remember to check us out over on Facebook at the Bloke and the Bird Show. Do a quick search. You'll find us without a problem. 
and over at the website at www.theblokeandabird.com. But uh, other than that, I think we will call it a show. <laughs> <laughs>